0: We want things to flourish in our lives. We want our gardens to flourish. We want those plants around our house to flourish. My wife is obsessed about opening certain blinds at just the right time so the plants can get sun. We want our neighbors, our neighborhoods to flourish, our cities to flourish, our families, our marriages, our childrens, our friendships. We want things to flourish because... If something's flourishing, it means it's healthy, it's growing, it's thriving, it's rooted, grounded, established, it's bearing fruit. Flourishing is a great thing, it's a great goal. But we also know, from personal experience, many of us, that flourishing can be difficult and elusive at times. There's a difference between thriving and surviving. There's a, di- a difference between existing and living. There's a difference between refreshing and exhausting. And if we're honest with ourselves, I bet there are a lot of times in our lives, maybe even this season, this stage in your life, where you feel like you're not flourishing, you're not thriving, you're tired, maybe just hanging on. I've actually felt that way uh, several times in the past year. So what does God do? He graciously gives us simple and constant and powerful reminders, reminders that we're meant to read and hear and digest weekly, daily, that true flourishing, true blessing, true fruitfulness and growth comes as we remember and know that we are united to Jesus Christ. When we train our hearts and our minds and our bodies to remember that the most important thing is the resurrected Christ, the Savior of sinners who came to earth for us so that we might have life and have it abundantly. I have a friend who's a church planter in Orange County, California, and he likes to say it like this. We want you to move past fine and busy so that you can connect with God. That's what gospel flourishing is all about. Living our lives by the grace of God and putting those practices into place in our lives that are in line with the grace of God. So what does gospel flourishing look like? Is it something that we can experience? Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 27 talks about gospel flourishing specifically in the life of the church. Specifically in in the life of ministry. And here's a real but sad part of our story. Burnout, exhaustion, fatigue, and unhealthy patterns in life and ministry are often found and sometimes perpetuated, not out there, but in here, among us. What can we do to reverse those trends? We've seen it. We've tasted it firsthand in the life of our church. What does gospel flourishing look like in our lives, in our church? I want to invite you for the next few minutes to look at God's Word together and for us to think about what gospel flourishing means. Would you consider pursuing, exploring what it means to blossom and flourish in Jesus Christ? the rest of your life with me this morning. Because the burnout and the self-will and the Josh plan, or insert your name there, um, it doesn't really work. It doesn't last. So let's look at the passage together, and there are several things I want us to see. First of all, we see in verses 13 through 16 an opportunity for gospel flourishing. You've been around those people, right? Those optimists, those positive thinkers. Something goes wrong, something doesn't work. And what do they say? You really need to see this as an opportunity for growth. Um, <laughs> the cynical side of me says, you mean I failed. Is that right? Uh, this passage in Exodus highlights some of the daily challenges that Moses and the people of God experienced We'll just say that there are opportunities for gospel flourishing. First of all, there was a need. Moses went out the next day after sharing and celebrating God's grace with his father-in-law Jethro. He went out to do his job. His work was to judge the people of God. There were plenty of people. Some people estimate that after the exodus, through the exodus, there were 2.5 million uh, Israelites at this time. And if just a few of those folks needed help uh, resolving conflict, dealing with the disputes they had, that would have meant this incredibly high load of work for Moses and the people. Uh, we, we get frustrated when we have to wait at the DMV or the doctor's office. These people were waiting hours, probably days, for Moses to give them his biblical Interpretation and help for what they were dealing with. There was a need. There was an opportunity for flourishing. Another part that we see here is that, that Moses was a willing servant. He worked hard. He labored from morning till evening. And this is a Hebrew phrase that emphasizes the, the high caseload that Moses had. Basically, every waking minute he was spending... Judging between the people of God. And here's the thing Moses had the heart of a servant leader, he had the heart of a pastor. He wanted to help these folks. It says in verse 15 they come to me to inquire of God, they have disputes. I help them work through things, I teach them God's word, his statutes, his laws. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, firsthand, these are some of the greatest privileges and blessings. Of being a minister is to be able to help people walk through stuff, to teach the word of God, pointing people to Christ, walking with them through difficulty, rejoicing with them. I believe Moses cared for the people. This is an opportunity for growth, and part of it was because he loved what he did. We also see in this opportunity for growth an observation. You've been around people that say this. Hey, could I just make one observation? <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> Get ready. Here it comes. Someone's about to drop the hammer. But here we see Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. It's it's really neat. It says um, in verse fourteen, Moses' father-in-law saw. He saw all that was going on. He was an outside observer. He could come in and give some fresh perspective. He also really cared about Moses and his family and the people of Israel. And uh, he, he loved Moses. He cared for them. So, so he took notice. He was interested. He watched what had happened. And he asked a few questions. First question is rhetorical. It's a question to help Moses process his life situation. What is it that you're doing for the people? Um... That's a great question. Really great question. It's, it would be like if your boss randomly walked into your office and said, why are you here? It's a meta question. It's a big picture question. And Moses actually answers it really well. We've already looked at that a little bit. He talks about what he does with the people of God. The second question is a little bit more accusatory. He says it this way. Why do you do it Alone. All these people sit around you all the hours of the day, and Moses doesn't really have a good answer for that question. It really is an opportunity for gospel flourishing. What are the areas in your life where there may be an opportunity for gospel flourishing? Maybe there's this mixture of good motives and unhealthy patterns, and overwhelming circumstances, and the status quo of life, and the pride within us that says, I've got this under control, I can do it myself. There are probably plenty of opportunities for gospel flourishing in our lives. And this passage identifies one of them. So there's an opportunity for gospel flourishing. The second thing I want us to see is an assessment for gospel flourishing. Assessment is just a nice word for, let me give your opinion about the things that you should change. And so, um, let me tell you how I see what's going down. One assesses a situation, and that's what happens here. Uh, Jethro assesses what he sees, and he spoke the truth in this assessment. He called a spade a spade. And he says in verse 17, look at the Bible with me. He said, what you're doing is not good. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't beat around the bush. He comes out and says, what you're doing is not good. And we need to stop here and think about this for a moment. Moses was called by God. He had the authority and position to lead and to judge and to teach and to pastor the flock of God. He did all these things for the people. But at this rate... It wouldn't have taken Zipporah long to say something like this. Why do you have to leave the tent so early in the morning? Why do you come home so late every single night? And you know what I bet Moses would have said? I'm doing God's work. It's the ministry, honey. Can't you hear it? It's a beautiful and blessed work, but without boundaries, without help, without doing it God's way, with God's priorities, it's not good. Plain and simple. You could have the best motives, the best desires the most gifts. You could be godly and skilled and talented in leadership and service in the church and not done in a healthy, gospel-flourishing way. Here is the assessment. It's not good. Here's where we come back to our union with Christ. Our identity in the gospel of Jesus Christ as forgiven, accepted children. Our... Our worth in life is not based on our accolades, our accomplishments, or our ministry initiatives. Because guilt and shame and the fear of people and the desire for power and affirmation and approval, those are all the things that can derail our lives and our ministries. It's not... It's not good for Moses, but notice the Bible says it's bad for all the people. Look at verse 18. It says, you will wear yourselves out. Now we see a little more detail about why this is not good. You'll wear yourselves out. Notice it doesn't say to Moses, you will wear yourself out. It says to the people, you'll wear yourselves out. One person does not have the emotional, physical, or spiritual bandwidth to keep up the pace at which Moses was running. And imagine the fatigue of those people. The fatigue and the pressure and the frustration and maybe the eventual resignation that things probably aren't going to get any better because we have to wait here for hours or days for Moses to help us walk through this situation. No person except for Jesus Christ was ever meant to be the main and sole source of our spiritual health and flourishing. It's too heavy for you. That's what verse 18 also says. Have you noticed on boxes recently uh, there are these instructions, encouragements, and it has these two stick people picking up something together? And it says, Team lift, team lift. It's too heavy for you. But what do we try to do? We try to carry stuff that's too heavy for us. And we hurt our back or we fall down the stairs or we we wreck our lives because we try to do it all by ourselves. It's too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Those are the words that just got me. Words I cannot shake. If you're seeking to help people, or if you need help, they apply the same. You're not able to do it alone. But do you ever think this way? This is the way I think sometimes. I got this. I got this under control. You can count on me. I'm Mr. Reliable. I will get the job done. Don't worry. Here's the thing. Stress and trouble and life and pressure bear down on us. And we put expectations on ourselves. And the Holy Spirit reminds us here, you can't do it by yourself. You're not able to do it alone. Oh yeah, I'm not. I was never meant to. I'm not God. You're not God. We weren't meant to do it alone. We need other people you need to hear that reminder this morning. It's too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Maybe you need to be reminded of these words. My friend Andy reminded, of me this, reminded me of this this week. Remember they came to John the Baptist and said, Are you the one? Are you the one? And it says in the Bible that he confessed. He did not deny. And he confessed, I am not the Christ. Don't we need to remember that? I am not the Christ. That's something important to remember. We can't carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. But you know what? There are plenty of people in this room and folks that aren't here that will help you carry the load. That will walk beside you and help you and encourage you. And the Lord says, cast your cares on on the, the Bible says, your cares on him because he cares for us. So, are there patterns or areas in your personal life, even though something is good on paper or in principle, the cost to you or others means it's not good? Are you wearing yourself out through actions or patterns or mindsets that are not in line with gospel flourishing? This is Jethro's honest assessment Do we have the courage to hear and give those same assessments with the goal of gospel flourishing? Next we see from the passage a game plan for gospel flourishing. What's the game plan? You know, I like to get right down to it. What's the plan? How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Me personally, I can see what's wrong with something, how things get sideways easier than figuring out a a plan or a pathway forward. And so when someone comes up with a game plan, it's helpful. Jethro moves on to a game plan for gospel flourishing, and there are several aspects to it. First of all, he says, the first principle is that we should listen. We should listen. It's a pretty important part of any plan, right? You've got to listen to it. Not just hear it, but listen And if someone comes along and tells us the things that they see that are wrong with with our situation, what is our natural tendency? We shut down, we get defensive, we don't want to hear what anyone has to say. But the Bible says specifically that Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law in verse 24. Another part of this game plan for gospel flourishing is Jethro tells Moses, you still get to do what you love. You know, that's one of the things that we're afraid of. When someone comes along and and says, okay, things need to change here. I don't like change. We're afraid that the thing that we love so much will be taken away from us. And that's what's really neat here. It says specifically that Moses will get to do the same things he did before. You'll get to continue to teach and point people toward God and warn them and encourage them. The bread and butter of your ministry is, You'll get to continue. You shall do that. It's still a core value of your calling, Moses. That doesn't change. We see that in verses 19 and 20. But what does change in this game plan is he calls Moses to identify and empower leaders. Part of God's game plan for gospel flourishing is identifying and equipping people to lead. Jethro says, look for men from all the people, not just one tribe or one clique of people. Look for people who are trustworthy, who don't love a bribe, who fear God. He's basically saying, look for people who know God and love God and their life is consistent with their profession. Now, doesn't that sound familiar to what we're walking through now as a church? We've identified potential deacons and elders, and they're going through a training process. This is part of God's game plan. Put them over thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. It's a game plan for ministry to be shared. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, you remember Ephesians chapter 4, one of the main and primary callings of pastor, teacher, servant, leaders is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. That same principle is true here. Bring the big cases to Moses and deal with the smaller ones and trust to the people. And and this game plan for gospel flourishing is a two-way street. Um, It helps relieve pastors and ministry leaders of the controlling idols that seduce us into believing that we need to solve everyone's problems and answer all their questions and be there to lift them up every time they fall and control everything that's going on. A pastor, a person, a ministry leader can't do all those things. We weren't meant to do them. God is in charge. God is in control. And gospel flourishing takes place when leaders learn to identify and empower others to share the load And the burden together. But you know what? It also applies to the people of God. It it helps relieve the people of God from personality worship. Or in thinking that one person can or will solve everyone's problems. Answer all their questions. No local pastor or celebrity pastor or a Sunday school teacher or anyone that you look up to in the Christian faith can meet and solve all of your spiritual and Christian needs. They were never meant to. Sharing the load means helping those in the congregation. And it says in the Bible, verse 23... If you do this, God will direct you and you'll be able to endure and all the people will go to their place in peace. So it works for the leaders and for the people of God. And this is not a passive aggressive way for me to say, hey, don't call me. (laughs) Um, Don't reach out to me or the leaders of the church. We want to be open and accessible to you and others at, at full bore. We want to pray for you and counsel with you and laugh with you and cry with you and walk through life with you as we remind one another how much we need Jesus Christ. So it's not me trying to say, hey, you know, y'all don't ever reach out to me. That's not what this is. But it may mean at times that we point folks in another direction. Maybe I could say, I'd love to help you with that, but I can't do it right now. Or have you talked to the folks from your community group about it? You know, like sharing the load of ministry is part of the way that we, we flourish in the gospel. And then finally, a pathway for gospel flourishing. Verses 24 through 27. What did Moses do with Jethro's plan? Did he look interested and hear it and then kind of drop it in the round file when he was done or put it on his desk and then it got covered up by a bunch of other stuff. No, he put this thing into practice. It didn't fade away as life rushed on. How can we cultivate and encourage an environment of gospel flourishing? Not just in our lives, but in our church. What can we do to implement more and more put systems and practices into place that are conducive to health and growth and fullness? Well, first of all, I know this is going to sound counterintuitive. For the punch list and the flow chart people, this may hurt. But... uh, We have to remember and remind ourselves that Jesus Christ is Lord. That our standing in life, that our acceptance before the everlasting God of the universe is secure and settled because of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that thing I mentioned in the beginning, our union with Christ, that we're connected to Him. Think about it. Moses knew now more than ever in his life that God loved him. Moses knew that that his father-in-law Jethro loved him. Knowing God loves us in Christ can give us the strength to move forward, to take concrete steps toward gospel flourishing in life. It gives us the freedom to honestly assess and be assessed by others because Christ is our righteousness. Because we can be secure in our identity in Christ It gives us the freedom and the courage to follow a game plan for gospel flourishing in our lives and in our church. Trusting other people with care for one another. And that means sometimes watching other people fail. That we have said, you know, are are you going to help with that? And we don't have to rush in and solve all the problems. It has the implication of having the courage to say no. No. And to take time off, out of all of that, we can put plans and systems in place. We can work on ministry initiatives together, arm in arm, side by side, moving forward. So, what's highlighted here in Exodus 18 is not simply a game plan. No, we haven't found uh, the prayer of Jabez here, you know, the secret to spiritual life, Um what we have is an invitation. It's an invitation for us to admit and surrender, maybe for the first time in our lives. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, maybe you can say for the first time, you know what? I can't do it alone. It's too heavy for me to carry by myself. And that's a great place to be because the Bible gives us this wonderful promise from Jesus Christ. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is flourishing life in Christ. Come to Him and live. And it's also an invitation for Christians to come back to Jesus and find rest and renewal in His loving arms. As we lean on others, as we ask for help, as we look to share the load of life and ministry, and this is, this is a calling not just for people that are in leadership to share, but it's for all of us to share the pain and the hurt that we have. Many of you know, I found out about a week and a half ago that my brother passed away. And uh, I came to church Sunday, and there was part of me that didn't want people to know. There was part inside that didn't want to share. And that's pride. And that's, that's, that's unhealthy because I can share the sadness with you and you can help carry me in the midst of that. Gospel flourishing takes place as we share our lives and share ministry with one another. And may we pursue that together. Let's pray.